All right, so we have been in Hebrews chapter 13, and we've got a little bit left to finish, and it's fortuitous that I didn't make it to the last part last week because it really fits amazingly well with the first part of Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, Hebrews chapter 11, diving into these witnesses in this hall of faith. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 and pick up the context of where we've been. You know that we started in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, and we started with, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is coming out of the contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai was a very scary event. God spoke. There were miracles and and flashes of lightning and all that sort of thing. But even so, uh, it wasn't nearly as impressive and as intimidating and as uh, attention-getting as Mount Zion will be. Last time God spoke, the earth shook at Mount Sinai, the author says. And this time, next time he speaks, the whole world is going to be uh, done away with and replaced with a new and better world. Fitting, of course, with the overall theme of the book, a better priest with a better sacrifice under a better covenant, a better king with a better administration and a better world, uh, inviting us to participate as both with through the word mixed with faith. So, verse 28, Since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Missing out on what God has given us as an opportunity in this life is a tragic outcome. And it's something to be uh, very concerned about as the book of Hebrews makes clear to us. So after he has gotten our attention, he has uh, in hopefully uh, connected with our emotions and made us highly concerned that we certainly don't want to miss out on this, then he starts giving us some direction. And we basically saw in our list um, a, a lot of things that have to do with teamwork, be a good team player. Let brotherly love continue. Don't forget to entertain strangers. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Have a great marriage. All these things have to do with interconnecting with people that are in our sphere of influence. And we said that uh, the kind of the core of this behavior was connected with verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what you have because you basically have this attitude. The Lord's my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What can man do to me? And this fear contrast is something we see throughout Scripture. We see, uh, don't fear man, fear God. And then we see um, the opportunity here to have our inside um, uh, motivation connected with serving God, and it changes how we interact with other people. So today, what we're going to look at is starting in verse 10, and this will be the last part of chapter 13. So he's told us uh, this, this teamwork. You know, be, be, have good connections with uh, your wife, with your husband, with your 
fellow believers. <clears throat> uh, remember those who rule over you, the ones who are watching over your souls. And then we come to chapter uh, 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. It seems an odd transition to our ears. Uh, let brotherly love continue. That kind of makes sense. Entertain strangers. That, you know, we, we, this is all daily living type stuff. Have an honorable marriage. Have an attitude of thankfulness. Uh, the people who ruled over you, you know, remember them. Don't get carried away with strange doctrines. And then suddenly we have an altar from which we have no right to eat. The body of those animals whose blood is brought in the sanctuary are burned outside the camp. Well, what's that talking about? It's kind of weird, really, right? Remember, though, the audience here is all Jewish. This is not going to be weird to them. So let's try to get into the head of what's going of the audience here and see what's going on. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought in the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Anybody know what that's referring to? Scapegoat. scapegoat. I don't think it's the scapegoat. The scapegoat happens, I think, during the Day of Atonement. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, which is an annual uh, event. And they have two goats, and they take one of them and let them go, but they don't burn that one. That one doesn't get doesn't get gun. But that's a that's good. That's a good guess. Anybody else? Yes, but I don't think this refers to that because this is an animal sacrifice being referred to here. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Aren't you cheating? Didn't I tell you about this? Oh. <laughs> yeah. You were listening. Numbers nineteen two. Let's go to Numbers nineteen two. Uh oh, my machine's not working properly. Give me a sec here. Numbers 19. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there's no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger 
and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and that shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It's for purification from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them. So anybody ever hear of this before, that red heifer sacrifice? It's kind of an arcane reference, isn't it? So I read a little bit on the internet about the red heifer sacrifice. And I, you know, so... I don't, I don't necessarily give it a lot of credibility, but uh, it's, it's what I had available to me. And some of these articles said that this red heifer sacrifice, uh, even though not much is known about it, uh, only took place a few times. Because what they, you, you kept, did you catch what was happening? They, they take this red heifer, female cow, uh, that's, that's never had you know, not been worked as an oxen. They take it outside the camp, they burn everything just to get the ashes. And they store these ashes outside and then they use a little bit of the ash to put in the water of purification for the other ceremonies. Did did everybody catch that? Okay. So uh, this article said that to to the knowledge of this, this, whoever was writing this, there had only ever been a few red heifer sacrifices ever even done. Because you just need it for a store of ashes. And then you just need to do another one once the ashes run out. Okay? So it's, it's kind, of a, kind of an interesting situation here. Because the writer of Hebrews has gone through this really practical stuff. We understand interacting with other people, interacting with people in the body. And, and, and then all of a sudden he's talking about this red heifer sacrifice. What, what's the point? Well, let's just hold the tension on that for a minute. And let's go back uh, and look at... Uh, well, let's see. Let me, let me first make a connection with... what. The, so he's got this red heifer sacrifice. Then he makes a connection. Uh, let me do that next. And then we'll go back and kind of uh, hopefully tell you how this fits in. So in verse 15 of Hebrews 13... It says, Therefore, by Him, Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and share, for with those sacrifices God is well pleased. So, He... He's making a connection here with whatever happens in this red heifer sacrifice. And verse 13, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. 
So somehow, bearing his reproach is connected with a sacrifice of praise from our lips, which is connected to the sacrifice of doing good and sharing. Okay, so let's go back and let me give you a little bit of a let me give you a little bit of a sequence here, and hopefully we can make sense of this. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter eleven. Let's turn a few pages back. And let's start with this string of witnesses. The string of witnesses begins in an interesting place, and of course it, it uh, ends with Jesus, the, the string of witnesses. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So now, so now here's the first person in this hall of faith, the string. It start, starts with this person, goes to Jesus. By faith, Abel. So the first person in our hall of faith string is Abel. What was it that Abel did? Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice Through that, he obtained a witness. Through that witness, God testified of his gifts. And though he's still dead, he still speaks. Now, I don't know about you, but both of these things are confusing to me. And I've I've scratched my head about this red heifer sacrifice and about why Abel is the first guy in this string for a long time. So I'm going to give you my my best shot today what I think is going on here. And if you can come up with a better one, let me know. This isn't particularly easy. Well, first let me uh, tell you something that I think you might find interesting. The Greek word in chapter 11, verse 1, 2, sorry, 2, that's um, rendered testimony, is the same as the Greek word in verse 4, that is rendered witness, is the same... As in verse 4, God testifying. (coughs) Testimony, witness, testifying. They're all exactly the same word. Anybody have an idea what word that is? The Greek word, word? yeah. Yes, Brandon, the Greek scholar. (laughs) Martyreo, M-A-R-T-Y-R-E-O. Anybody, that sound familiar to anybody? Martyr. Martyr, okay. This word means witness. A martyr is just a witness. It's said in church history that the church was built on the blood of the martyrs, which is, I think, a true statement. Um, I have read guys who said that if you want to be an overcomer, one of these well-done, good and faithful servant type people, you have to be a martyr. And I think that's accurate. But in this sense... 
the sense of living a witness that people see the life. Sometimes you die for it. Most people don't have to die. But the idea here is to live a witness. So the first entrance to the hall of faith is someone who lived their witness in a way where it was seen. Now it wasn't just a whole big crowd to see Abel. There weren't that many people around. His brother saw it and he didn't like it. And he killed him for it. So in this particular case, Abel actually did die for his witness. And he's dead. Abel's dead. And we're still talking about Abel. Why are we still talking about Abel? Because of his witness. Because of his witness. And God put his story in the Bible. But are we talking about what Abel said? What are we talking about? We're talking about what Abel did. Because he lived what he believed. You see that? He was a witness. He was a witness of faith. And because of that witness, that witness is still speaking. The witness is speaking. God testifying of His gifts, and through it, He being dead still, speaks. What we do in our lives is speaking. He had a sacrifice that spoke. Let's look at this string of sacrifices. Go back to... um, Go back to 9.26 or so. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. This is part of the outline of Hebrews, a better sacrifice, a better priest with a better sacrifice under a better law. One time, put away sin. Chapter 10, verse 1. The law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices make those your people perfect. We're talking about animal sacrifices. Jesus has one sacrifice that puts away sin forever. Animal sacrifices can't get the job done. Verse 3, in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. Not only do those sacrifices not get rid of sin, they they remind us of it. Verse 5, therefore when He came into the world, Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. That's not what you sent me here for because it wasn't good enough. Burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and burnt offerings, you did not desire. The repetition is starting to mount. God did not send Jesus to perpetuate the animal sacrifice system. Verse 10, by that will... The will of God, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Jesus' sacrifice was offered. Was Jesus' sacrifice something He said or something He did? It was something He did. And that sacrifice is speaking. Verse 11. 
The priests stand offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which cannot take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for all, sat down. Why did he sit down? He was done. He was elevated to the throne. Verse 26, If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no sacrifice for sins. These animal sacrifices aren't going to do you any good. What there is is consequences for your sins. Verse chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And that sacrifice speaks, even though he's not alive anymore. Chapter 12. Verse 22. You haven't come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a scary place, but you hadn't come to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. See, Abel was the first guy in the hall of faith because he believed God and he did what God asked him to do and it cost him his life. He was a witness. He was a witness of doing what God asked him to do. Well, Jesus is also a witness of what God asked him to do, similar to Abel. But Jesus' blood is not only better than all the animal sacrifices that can't take away sin, it's not only better than all the animal sacrifices that remind us of sin, it's better than the sacrifice of Abel. That was a great witness. But this witness of Jesus is even greater. Because His blood is available to us to enter the Holy of Holies to have our hearts and consciences sprinkled and cleansed so we can do good works. That was in chapter 9. The blood of sprinkling speaks. Abel speaks. His actions speak. Why? Because he of what he did. Jesus speaks. Why? Because of what he did. Yes, God has given us the Word. He's given us the Bible. And that's incredibly important to us. But He also gave us the living Word and the actions of Jesus speak. What, What was the action of Jesus doing? Look back at Romans... I'm sorry, Romans. Hebrews 12. This is the culmination of chapter 11. Verse 1... Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by all these great witnesses, this hall of faith we're going to study, starting with Abel, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. What Jesus did is He despised the shame of man and said, What can man do to me? I'm not going to be afraid of man. 
All they can do is kill me. And they did. But he saw he lived a life that said, I'm going to focus on pleasing God. And because of that, his name was lifted above every name. And his life speaks because he's a witness. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. So let's go back to chapter 10. I'm in 13, verse 10. Do you run a race? If I if I if I told David if if you came and said said well, David and I are going to run a race that actually would draw a crowd probably <laughs> and uh, we're going to run a race and everybody came and uh, let's say uh, Robert over here says go and and David and I start going I'm running I'm running I'm going I'm going I'm faster than you are I'm really going me I'm I'm ahead I'm ahead I finished what would everybody think yeah. <laughs> Well, what do you think? Huh? You talked a good race, right? What do you do when you run a race? You've got to put your body into it, right? It's something you actually do, not just something you talk about. So what we're talking here is living life. You, you get the point? We're living here. We're not just talking, we're living. Abel did something. And because of what he did, we're reading about it. We're, it's still speaking. Jesus did something. He came, he actually, you know, he could have just told us in the Bible, I'd be willing to come and, and do this for you if I thought it'd do any good. You know, he, he could have just told us. But he actually came, got in a human body, lived a life and died. He did it. He actually, he actually did it with his own flesh and blood. So verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest are burned outside the camp. So you've got the camp of the Israelites and they're actually going outside the camp to do this burning, to do this sacrifice. We've talked about all these sacrifices and all these sacrifices are examples to us to learn from. And here's another one we haven't talked about, the red heifer sacrifice. It's like he wants to make sure he's taken the Abel sacrifice, all the Levitical sacrifice, he doesn't want to miss one. And this sacrifice is outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he may sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the camp. Where did Jesus die? Outside of Jerusalem. Golgotha was a stone quarry. It was just outside the gate of the city. He suffered outside the gate. So what Paul is doing here is telling us Jesus is the red heifer sacrifice is a picture of Jesus. And the reason you go outside the camp is because you're considered defiled. So verse 13. So what, what's the point? Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Bearing his reproach. Let's go back to 12.1. Uh, 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I did a whole podcast on this. You could go listen to. But the despising the shame is about paying attention to what men think as opposed to paying attention to what God thinks. 
And men will use rejection and criticism and uh, uh, abuse to get you to do what they want you to do. And they did that to Jesus. They threatened Him. They ridiculed Him. They mocked Him. And it hurt. He, he cried. He, he, asked for, he asked for another way out. But compared to the joy set before Him, He said, what I'm going to do is going to be based on the greater thing, not this immediate pain I'm feeling from people. I'm not going to give that much weight compared to doing what my Father asked me to do. That's the example. And because of that, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So 13, verse 13, 13, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. See, we've got this hall of faith, these witnesses, culminating with Jesus. And what Paul is telling us to do, let's do what Jesus did, not only with our own team. Let brotherly love continue. Entertain strangers. They might be angels. Remember those on your team who are suffering and, and, and like you were chained with them. Have a great marriage. Have this inner heart of contentment and thankfulness. Remember those who, who rule over you. Don't listen to lies. Follow people who teach the truth. Well, that's our own team. But there's something else we need to do too. We need to be out there in the world outside the camp. And when we go outside the camp, what should we expect? Shame. Shame. Reproach. The world doesn't like Jesus. The world doesn't like what Jesus has to say. The world doesn't like the way Jesus wants us to live. So it's step one is, let's get our team together. And step two is, let's go outside the gate. What do we do outside the gate? Sacrifice. He wants us to live a sacrifice just like Abel did. He wants us to be a witness. Not just by what we talk, what we do. What sacrifice does He want us to do? Verse 15. Oh, verse 14. I skipped 14. So why? Why do we go out the side of the camp? Because this is not really our city. We're not clinging to this city. We live in this city, but we're looking for a better one. we got a better king, the sun, with a better administration and a better world. He's inviting us to be part of this administration. And this is the first step in doing so. Since we're receiving a kingdom, let's serve God with reverence and godly fear. So the first step is, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. This is similar to be thankful with what you have, isn't it? Back on uh, 13.5, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with what you have. The Lord's my helper, I won't fear, What what can man do to me? So if we're out in the world and we're bearing reproach, What are we supposed to say about that reproach? We're looking to something greater. greater. What are we supposed to say with our lips about that reproach? 
Thank you. Thank you for that reproach. I appreciate that reproach. This is something that God's given to me. Why? Why are we supposed to be thankful for this reproach? We get to be a witness. This is our chance. This is our opportunity. This is our road to greatness. This is how we receive the kingdom. This is how we participate in Jesus' life. We get to be a witness. We get to be a martyreo. And this, this, we get to please God. A sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and share. So, one thing is when we bear His reproach, we're thankful for it. That is, in and of itself, a fantastic witness. The other thing is, do good and share. Does the world like it when you do good? And they don't like it, right? Some jobs they do. Some jobs they do. Well, I mean, the, the big growth of Christianity in the first few centuries was because of Christians going out and building hospitals, taking care of people that had plague and great risk to themselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Great point. Steve, Steve's saying, if you couldn't hear him, Steve's saying that a lot of Christianity grew about because of hospitals, schools, all the good things that were done. And uh, uh, a lot of that, though, got attacked. That, that's a threat to the powers that be. David knows a lot about this. Um, a lot of their ministry in a particular country spends all their time doing good, and they have to tread on eggshells because... Um, it's a threat to certain power bases. And as, a, as a, insofar as it being a threat to certain power bases, uh, they try to shut it down or co-opt it. So, yeah, people look at it and they say, hey, that's awesome, but the world system's always going to oppose it. Do not forget to do good and to share, for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. So here we are. We're able. And what does God want from us? Does He want an animal sacrifice? We're in a different era, right? What does He want from us? What's He want? He wants three sacrifices outside the gate. When we walk outside this church door, what's He want? Actions. What actions? What is it? Obedience. What? Do good. Right? He wants us to do good. That's verse 16. Do good. Number two, He wants us to share. Now, what, what could you share? What are some things you could share? Is that a, that's a pretty broad thing. What, what all things can you share outside the gate? The good news. You can share the good news. Your possessions. Your possessions. You can, you can give uh, your possessions. What else? Your time. You can share your time. What else? Your gifts. Gifts? Okay, how would you share your gifts outside the gate? How, how would you help other people? How do you help other people? You're all doing it right now. We never think about this in Christianity for some reason. Some twisted reason. Working! Yeah, most of you guys spend most of your time working, don't you? When you work, are you helping anybody? 
Yeah, you spend all your time working helping somebody, right? You can't make a profit if you're not helping somebody, unless some of you are in like armed robbery gang or something. I don't know about it. Hopefully not. Well, even then you're helping somebody. Well, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, well, you 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 are help. You're helping, and when you do that constructively. You're being a witness. This Christianity thing starts at the gate of the church. It doesn't stop there. It starts there. The whole point is to be a witness outside the gate. Do good. Share. Have a sacrifice of praise. You know, having, having an employee that has a, a chipper attitude is a wonderful thing. And uh, not all that common out in the world. And it's, it's an amazing testimony when you work hard and have a positive attitude and are willing to share and help and don't care who gets credit and will help other people that aren't going to show up on your bonus report. Uh, I just got a call from my son this week. And his drummer is, uh, is a uh, guy who works in IT in some school district. And he said that working in a school district, he doesn't get a whole lot of uh, uh, mentoring about like hard work. And he said that this guy like works 10 hours a day and does a lot of other people's jobs. And my son is not, doesn't have a giving bent, let's just say it that way. And he asked this guy, why in the world are you putting up with that? And he said, the young man said, uh, all these people in the school district need help and nobody will help them but me. And I, w- I want to see them have a functional computer system. Now, so he called me to tell me about the witness of this guy. My son did. Called me and said, you won't believe this. You see? Because of the way he did his job. And that's what we're being asked to do here. This is greatness. This is the culmination of Hebrews. You see, you've got Sinai there. It's scary. You've got Mount Zion. It's scary. So be heavenly focused and be focused on hearing well done, good and faithful servant. And the way you do that is start with a heart of thanks and of being content with what you have and take that heart into your team and have brotherly love and care about the ones who are out of sync and out of sorts and share your space and share your things and uh, don't be a problem to the ones that are trying to shepherd your souls and care for them and focus on the truth. Don't listen to things that aren't true. Sort that out. And then take that base, take that strength that you gain from one another and walk outside the gate and live a life that is thankful and that's helpful and that is generous. Live that life in your work, in your neighborhood, in your ladies' group, in your, in your, at, at the park, in your job, in your business, in your Boy Scout troop or whatever, whatever it is you do. This is what God wants. Now, if you go on a mission trip, I'm sure that's great. 
I like mission trips. If you uh, go out witnessing, I'm sure that's great. But that is not highlighted here as extra special and extra good. Yes, Steve? Doesn't verse 15, though, also mean that it is necessary for these words? Because if there's no acknowledgement, I mean, ESV translates that, uh, acknowledge his name. If there's no acknowledgement of God at all, then people just think you're a nice guy. Sure, yeah. Yeah, verse 15 is all about the fruit of our lips. But what is the fruit of our lips in verse 15? What is it that we're to be speaking? Praise of God. Praising God. Thankfulness. But not thankfulness to some vague celestial power. Right. But thankfulness to God. Praise to God. Giving thanks to His name. Yeah, that's a great point. And where is that thanks happening though? On our lips. On our lips. It's on our lips. Where are our lips? On our faces. Where's our face? On our body. Where's our body? It's outside the gate. That's the point I'm trying to make. I mean, it's great to praise God inside the church. But yeah, I think think that's... We're outside the gate praising God. And we're praising God in the midst of... As we're doing what? Bearing His reproach. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, you've said this idea that, you know... It's our bodies. Be a witness, if necessary, use words. And I'm saying that you got to use words, or you're not fulfilling this verse. Now, if you if you use words without actions, you're doing more harm than good. Yes. And one of the reasons those people that started the hospitals got in trouble with the powers was not just that they started hospitals, but they said they this were, is they weren't they weren't you know doing it as a mission trip, but they were open about the fact that. This is why we're doing it. Yeah. This is why we're doing it. But they they weren't in their face about it. But they were they were yeah denying him either, and they weren't hiding. Either. Yeah. If we're going to bear the reproach of Christ, and we're going to do what Christ did, and what did Christ do? He spoke the truth, and the truth got him in trouble. Yeah. That that, however, can be done in many ways. Um, I remember a guy that attended our church that was in a company. And the company was doing some unethical things, and he said, this is wrong. Okay, well, that got him a lot of trouble. Uh, it eventually, I think, got him promoted. But in the, in the immediate sense, it got him in a lot of trouble. And that's a good example of speaking the truth. Uh, but to, to, the, the emphasis in this particular chapter is the way we speak the truth, which is thankful. I have this Thanksgiving. And you know, I don't know about you, but my first, in, my first inclination when I get reproached is not thankfulness. That's not my first impulse. My, my, when I get rejected, my first impulse isn't thankfulness. My first impulse has more to do with closing my fist, clenching my teeth, giving them some reproach back again. That's, that's my first impulse. And that's that's not what we're invited to do here. Okay? So, witness. Just to close here, let me go back to chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, faith, the elders... 
obtained a good martyr, a witness. This is, this is our calling. This is what God wants us to do here. You take this message of Hebrews, which is really amazing stuff. It has all kinds of historical relevance and it has all sorts of theological relevance. It is in and of itself a stimulating and amazing book. But what it's geared toward is equipping us to have a good testimony. And the way we have that good testimony is to take what we've heard and mix it with faith. And when we take what we hear and we mix it with faith, we do things. We live things. That, that's the point. The way, we, the way we walk, the way we speak, the way we interact, it's all included. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death. So here's a martyr A.O. that did not see death. And was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken he had this martyreo. He pleased God. So it's not so much whether we live or die at the end of this witness. It is, what does God think? Who do we want to please? What can man do to me? Do we want to please man? Do we want to please God? That's where the rubber meets the road. Let me uh, close this in prayer. God, thanks for this challenging and stimulating word that you want us to be your face to the world, your witnesses. This able uh, example that he's still speaking, um, help us be that kind of person too, Lord, that we do something that lays down a track that continues to speak. And I pray that we will follow you outside the gate, not only to be a good teammate, have a great marriage, but to also go outside the gate and live a life in our daily life where we're a witness, a testimony, whether we live or die. I ask, Lord, that Midland Bible Church, with this dedication we had last night and this new facility, will be a place where people are not only equipped, but they also walk outside and live a life that causes people to see you and speaks on a continual basis. In Jesus' name, amen.